This is the 966, episode 18, Mashallah Richard. We're doing a podcast here right before the start of the holiday season with an interesting format, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, and for those of us who are following following us on YouTube, you'll see Richard's holiday sweater. This is an amazing yes. look, Richard. Yes, we should have a segment just on this. <laughs> um, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, before and, we get and started, you, and you picked the Abercrombie and Fitch theme, which is striking, and you look you look exceptionally good in that setting. We obviously had different ideas of what we were going to do for Christmas decor, <laughs> but I think we have a really good balance between the two of us. I'm afraid um, this is a reflection of our income levels. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> the inverse, <laughs> one over what you're seeing. <laughs> um, before we get started, if you would please give the 966 boys a reason to smile this season by launching a snowball at the subscribe button, totally free wherever you get your podcasts, as always. Um, and Richard, we've always already gotten uh, a very big present this year. Our listenership continues to grow, which we see in the numbers for the podcast. So thanks, everybody. If you're feeling extra scroogey, you can email Richard with any complaints, <laughs> yes, as always. It is the season. <laughs> um, so with the holiday season fast approaching, uh, Christmas is on Saturday. We're going to do a special shortened episode for today's weekly podcast. Last week, we launched a new segment called Yella. Saudi in a minute. It's sort of a quick hit, more news segment where we cover as many headlines as we can and provide some reactions. We got a lot of really good feedback on that. So we decided this week, we're just going to jump right into that, do an extended yellow Saudi in a minute section and uh, send our way right into the holidays. Uh, Richard, happy holidays to you and your family. Happy holidays to you. And, and we usually, so we're dispensing with one big thing, not permanently, but this is just a special, uh, you know, holiday edition of Yella. Uh, supersized, indeed. And uh, but the one big thing this this week is Lucian is a new father once again. He and his lovely bride uh, have a new addition, Coco. Congratulations, Mabruk. So I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. It's been a wonderful week with zero sleep, <laughs> but it it really is great. It's it kind of makes every Christmas present after this just seem not relevant at <laughs> all. That's true. It's a um, tough act to follow. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Coco was born on Monday night, just before midnight, and um, her mom and I are extremely happy and uh, excited for the holiday season. So yeah, I guess that's a really big thing this week. <laughs> and if 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 Lucian's you know he nods over and his head hits the mic, we know why. It's well earned. Well, let me just apologize in advance for any loopiness you may you may encounter while listening to this podcast. Um, but yes, thank you very much, Richard. I'm, we're tremendously excited. Um, it's great. And she has an older brother now. Um, and I should say her older brother has a younger sister now, too. So it's, it's exciting. Um, well, Richard, you know, that, that's the end of his life coming first, though. I mean, it, it, you know, the end of it is it, now it's going to be the, the, the younger sister who's going to get precedence that's, that's right how it works that's right <laughs> and now he's a he's chief protector of of coco for the next 18 years so that's good um i think he'll do well in that role but we'll see yeah um yeah. thanks richard why don't you get us started here with the with the first one all right we're doing 10 uh 10 yellows uh a little longer a couple things one you know as we go through the solution as i we were looking at this these topics that we decided on for this week, uh, we should sort of take a, a gauge on where the public investment fund stands on each of them. Not every one of them, but it's just fascinating how um, universal and omnipresent the PIF is. Mm -hmm. So uh, Lucid, to set up manufacturing plant in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saud al-Askar, the deputy governor of the Saudi Standards Meteorology and 
Quality Association, SASO, announced that Lucid is building a factory in Saudi Arabia. He told the media that the paperwork on the deal was under finalization and Lucid plans to start production of electric vehicles in the kingdom by 2024. That is amazing that Saudi Arabia will be a producer of electric vehicles. I mean, that's a quite the turnaround in, <laughs> I guess, since the founding of Lucid, but that's, that is amazing. Um, the PIF owns just over half of Lucid, so it was probably a pretty easy decision for Lucid's board, but that's really exciting for especially the kingdom's diversification plans. And uh, Richard, you're right. The PIF is going to be touching almost every topic we cover today, which is kind yeah. of amazing, but also... Uh, I guess sort of expected. I mean, they're so, they're they're the key part in Vision 2030, one of the key parts. But um, you know, attracting investment, investing themselves. So yeah, totally. Um, they the hinge. Yeah, on this on this Lucid, it is exciting, and we did a section on this, and we speculated at that point if it would be an EV. Um, and 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 we said at that time this was sort of the uh, uh, been a, uh, a unicorn, you know, a white. Uh, unicorn they've been chasing for a long time because of the, the advantageous things in terms of the regional auto market, local, and all the cr uh, skilled jobs you create and the reduction of auto imports. This would be uh, outstanding, and I'm excited if it can uh, it can get some traction and get going. We've talked a little bit about it. In fact, you're probably going to, if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll see it. The, the Lucid Air um, just won Motor Trends Car of the Year for 2021, um, which is amazing. The car itself looks really awesome. And we discussed discussed this last month, but Wired wrote a really, really good review of the car, just sort of a glowing review as sort of uh, the next generation, next level up from a Tesla, which is amazing. Well, that's the thing about this. And I think that was the original motivation, one of the original motivations uh, for the investment, the PFF investment was not necessarily the vehicle because their their battery technology, their their battery has a greater range, it recharges faster than the Tesla, and uh, is just you know is is really some impressive technology. So, you know, if that's coming, that is coming with it. So it makes it doubly attractive. We have yet to see a Lucid in the wild. I certainly have not seen <laughs> one, um, but they're coming and they look really cool. I think they have a higher price tag than Tesla at around $68,000, um, depending right. on they, the option, so. They're air pure, uh, they have four, I didn't realize this, they have four. They have an air pure at uh, 69.9, an air touring at 87.5, an air grand touring at 131.5, and an air dream at 169. Uh, now, they also have a special Air Dream, I think, that has over a 1,000 horsepower. Whoa. <laughs> I bet that flies. That's awesome. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Lucid, uh, if you're looking to sponsor a podcast, um, exactly. we, can, we will accept payment in cars. Um, and I, it, they should know. I mean, we're, not, we're really not greedy. I'm good with an Air Pure. I'll take one too. Yeah, we'll, we'll settle. But we don't want to, we're negotiating here. We, we want to start with the best one and we'll kind okay. of come back to the middle. So, Air Grand Touring or nothing. <laughs> um, Richard, you might need a, the powerful Lucid engine to power those uh, electric lights around your neck that I'm seeing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we, I just want to come back to this really quickly, but we, if we were going to do a, um, a sweater contest this year, I couldn't find any of my ugly sweaters. And then when we came on to do our pre-call, I saw Richard sweater and I was like, man, even if I had my best ugly sweater, it would not catch up to that. So <laughs> congratulations. You win this round, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> All right. Well, we're off to a horrible start. This is this yellow Saudi in a minute. It's going to take an hour and a half. Yeah. We just, we'll change it to Saudi in seven minutes and, uh, <laughs> <in something. laughs> um, 
uh, airport takeover is another thing that uh, the PIF is um, obviously directly involved in. Uh, earlier this week, Reuters and Ashark Al Alasat. Alas, Richard, can you Ashark? Ashark Alasat. Okay. <laughs> um, so we are off to a great start. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah I, no, you're forgiven. You get all sorts of redos on this today. <laughs> um, the Kingdom's 22 airports will be set up, um, are set to be privatized. They'll be set up as uh, airport holding companies, which will oversee construction, operation, and management. They will then be transferred to the public investment fund to be put, at, put on the market at a later time. Um, Richard, this isn't the first time we've heard uh, talk of privatizing at least some of the airports in Saudi Arabia. I mean, uh, Riyadh's King Khalid International Airport was discussed um, as being potentially privatized in 2018. Um, and it sort of was put on hold for a while. I guess now they were waiting for a new sort of privatization strategy, which was released this month. Um, one of the airports that they are looking at um, privatizing is the Abha Airport, which is in the southwest of Saudi Arabia, has been the frequent uh, target of Houthi drone strikes. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a big deal, Richard. I mean, the, the kingdom has just finished a major remodel of Jeddah's uh, international airport. Um, this is a this. I mean, for the privatization space in Saudi Arabia, this is huge. Absolutely. And so, in the next four years, Saudi wants to raise fifty-five billion via privatizations, and that that's that doesn't include you know, asset or equity sales by Aramco. So, this is things like this. And again, PIF is there at that hinge, you know, uh, prepping these things to go to an equity market where everybody can get a piece of them, and government can raise some revenue. It's a, it's a, you know, it's part of their bigger plan, and and this is a big thing. Twenty-two airports, and they won't they will do them all quickly, but because they they mentioned Taif, they uh, as well as Kasim, uh, in addition to Abha, but uh, yeah, they're very serious about this, and they'll be doing this in other sectors too. And if you go back and listen to our conversation with Robert Mogulnicki um, from the Arab Gulf States Institute in Washington, we talk a little bit about privatization going on in Saudi Arabia in general. And this was before this announcement. But uh, Robert sort of discuss, discusses how, <clears throat> excuse me, it's really interesting that um, these privatizations are sort of happening at an opportune time for Saudi Arabia. This isn't like a fire sale of government assets at the wrong time for a low price. They're sort of mm -hmm. doing it in a patient way that, so as to you know raise the most amount of uh, revenue. Um, not rushing it out the door. So this is interesting. We'll be watching this closely uh, going forward. That's a good point. Um, uh, best places to work names top seven Saudi companies in 2021. Uh, Novo Nordisk Saudi, Manga Productions, Foodix, Tumkeen Technologies, Roshan, International Maritime Industries, and Saudi Arabian Packaging Industry are recognized as the top seven best places to work in Saudi Arabia for 2021, according to the annual Best Places to Work certification program. This is the third year in a row that Novo Nordisk has won it. Wow. They must have the best ugly sweater contest at the end of the <laughs> holiday season. <laughs> um, great free lunches. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, this is interesting because, um, you know, there's been a lot sort of on Saudi Arabia, Saudi, Saudi Arabia pushing for um, companies to make their headquarters, uh, regional headquarters anyway, located in Riyadh or in Saudi Arabia in general. Um, there's a lot on building and developing the quality of life um, in Saudi Arabia to sort of make it more attractive for employees to move to Saudi Arabia, move their families to Saudi Arabia, not just, you know, work there Monday to Friday and live in Dubai over the weekend. So um, a company, these seven companies, but any company on this list, um, 
you know, is is in position to attract high quality human capital. And I think that's um, going to put them in a, a position of advantage when um, 2022 starts. Agreed. And you can't compete if you don't keep score. And by that, I mean, you know, it, that, that if they're tracking this and people are starting to pay attention to what the private sector, you know, if you're going to work in the private se- sector and, and, and you start going to choose between this or that, which is the kind of dynamic you want if you're a skilled employee, um, these sort of metrics are, are useful and, and, and they're, they're uh, an incentive to companies to, to compete on these things. The other, the other thing I like about this was the whole range. I mean, you know, this guy, you know, Foodix is a, you know, tech company uh, that's growing. Uh, Roshan is a master developer, real estate, huge real estate company, is PIF owned. Yeah, that's PIF again. Uh, so it, it runs the gamut. And like I said, it, you know, if, you know, by keeping score now, it makes the competition keener. Yeah, I mean, if you're an employee and you're looking to move to Saudi Arabia or you're, you're looking at it, that's a great point. You're looking at two different companies or you're, you're you know, if you Google this and you see that a company is one best places to work, I mean, that's kind of a nice endorsement, you know, that you're not going to get directly from the the company necessarily. But that's, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, this is a, and it covers, like you said, sort of, you know, several different sectors. Um, yeah. It's not just, you know, all in, in one, which is, which is great. Um, we should, we should uh, ask our uh, listeners to have a little bit of eggnog every time we say PIF, because again, it is going to be coming up a lot uh, in this, in this conversation today. They'll be nodding off like us. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's move on to uh, the EDM festival Soundstorm, which just wrapped up in Riyadh. Uh, <laughs> 700,000 attended the four-day outdoor rave. Um, DJ David Guetta played a very unique set. I mean, just go to YouTube and, and search for this. The videos of this thing are incredible. Um, much larger than I think in 2019, uh, David Guetta gave, gave a really interesting interview with the, uh, Associated Press on Saudi reforms that are ongoing and sort of talked to the reporter from the AP about why he was willing to play. And I guess they were asking him a little bit about like, are you part of this whitewashing sports washing thing going on? And he had a really good, he had a couple of really good answers to the reporter. So, um, but, but yeah, this, this EDM festival wrapping up is, is, uh, is is interesting and i guess it's going to be an annual thing wow it was looked like an enormous blowout and it it sort of capped a it's kind of an amazing month for saudi arabia they hosted the formula one they had uh, a couple biennales uh, the mm-hmm. riyadh season's ongoing uh, emmanuel macron came uh, they had the gcc summit uh, which is in, in riyadh it, it's it's been uh, it's been an extraordinary month now you saw some of the probably you saw some of the video and reporting out of this. This is going to be interesting to me uh, to see if there's some backlash to this. To the concert, you mean, or the- to the EDM concert? This was uh, easily the most uh, upfront in terms of some of the uh, social relaxation and that sort of thing. And um, it touched on two things in terms of the reporting, uh, two things that are still third rails in Saudi Arabia, and that's drug use and alternative lifestyles. Mm-hmm. You know, you had reporting of drug use, you had reporting of alternative lifestyles there, and, and uh, just this week, Saudi Arabia re- actually rejected a UN draft resolution on gender identity and sexual orientation, stressing that the terminology, con- terminology contradicts the kingdom's history and values. I just think, you know, Saudi Arabia is trying to manage change and uh, social relaxation from the top down. And 
you know, they want it to proceed at the pace they're comfortable with. They really want it to be emanating from the top down. We don't want to lose control of it. And, you know, in order to achieve this to, to this date, they've had to sideline some of the religious class and some other, uh, you know, important constituencies. And I think some of the reporting out of this is going to get, I think, uh, you know, Riyadh and, and the regime and, and key people all the way up to MBS are hearing a lot probably on this EDM festival about, hey, wait a second here. You know, we're good with some of the other stuff. All right, no, not, you know, we're, 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 we're less than comfortable with the whole thing, but, uh, you know, this is some red lines for us. Uh, and and they, they may not be able to do anything about it and probably can't, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit of a slowdown in terms of promoting these sorts of things and at least publicizing them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you haven't really seen a lot of pushback. I mean, it, it's probably just because there there aren't there isn't a lot of sharpness in the tooth of the um, of the sort of the, the establishment that is saying, look, all this stuff is kind of becoming a lot. This is starting to go against our culture. You just, I guess, you don't really see much of it. Um, the Haya, the quote unquote religious police in Saudi Arabia, has sort of been defanged, um, which was actually a long time ago in 2017, I think. Um, right. And exactly. And, and it's it's there's not much pushback because there's no room for it at the moment. And, that, you know, and that's sort of by design in this this management of change. Uh, but because just because uh, it's a very uh, controlled environment doesn't mean uh, that people aren't voicing their opinion through certain channels and that those opinions aren't being heard. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm just speculating here. I'm just, you know, especially on those two things, drug use and alternative lifestyles. I think there's going to be a, there's going to be some significant um, uh, grievances, you know, that are going to bubble up. And again, they're not on the front page, but that doesn't mean they're not heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's we'll a great see, point. We'll just we'll just see. And that's that's the thing about this kind of change. It's got to be calibrated. It's got to be re- reassessed. It's got to be, you know, it, it can you can turn it up a little bit you can pull it back a little bit you you want to try and be able to do that and you have that kind of control and that's what they're aiming for so you know if there's a period where it pulls back a little bit okay uh, you know the general direction is set but there are again that i'm pretty sure that edm festival upset some significant numbers within the you know have a look at things a little more conservatively in saudi arabia well, if a giant rave in the middle of the desert can't do it, then uh, you gotta have to wonder um, what could. Uh, Vivian Nareem, uh, who's one of Bloomberg's reporters in Saudi Arabia, did a really cool video and sort of story on the EDM festival and kind of touches on some of the stuff we're talking about. Just the, it's really a, a place where the you know conservative part of Saudi Arabia is um, you know connected and uh, you know being pushed up against this sort of new liberalizing opening up of, of the kingdom. Um, so check that out. Um, you can see that we, we shared it in one of our newsletters, which you can get at SUSTG.com, but it's also on Bloomberg, but she's, she's a great reporter. Um, it's been there for years now and does really good work. So check that out. Yeah. She showed up in 2015. She turned out for that, didn't she? I like her, she I like the, you know, her spangled, whatever it was. Yeah. She had the, she was EDM ready, you know, with the like <laughs> face art and stuff. It was really cool to see. So, um, well, she had to fit in too. She didn't want to be, you know, she didn't want to wear the traditional reporter fedora and rain jacket you know so <laughs> exactly um, well hopefully cool. hopefully the cameraman trailing her didn't give her away <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right um, um, yeah, please saudi female racer gears up 
for Dakar Rally Challenge. Uh, Mashal Obedan and uh, Danielle Keel, both 33 years old, will be the first female drivers from Saudi Arabia to compete in the Dakar Rally in Saudi Arabia beginning January 2nd to 14. The 44th edition of the Endurance Rally is more than 8,300 kilometers long with a route that traverses deserts and mountains with race segments up to 600 kilometers in a day. Wow. I, Richard, the Dakar do, do, is one of your favorite things, um, which is, which is really cool every year. Um, this is really cool because, um, I believe, um, one of these drivers won or placed in a, in a race that was outside of Heil. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's sort of what pushed her into consideration for Saudi authorities to actually participate in this as, you know, a serious contender. Yeah, um, that was, uh, Al Obedan, Michelle Obedan. Yeah. Yep. Um, um cool stuff. There also these women are. There's two things I thought were interesting. Akil, she's 33. She's 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 driving this. She spent the last year recovering from a fractured spine, and multiple pelvic breaks following a crash on the track in Bahrain. Bahrain. Um, wow. But that didn't put her off. I guess she won the overall title of the FIA World Cup in the cross country Baja. So, and the other thing, and this is a sign. This is a big sign. You know, in our in our marketing world, in our sports dominated world here in the U.S. So uh, Al Obaidan has a sponsorship agreement with Saudia Cargo. Uh, so you know she's getting paid. You know she's making money in sponsorship, which is um, well, again how, how things change. I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I, the, the Dakar is really dangerous, um, <laughs> and it's it's. I mean, it's like you know, it's really really up there in terms of you know dangerous things you can do in life. There's actually a great documentary on Netflix. Um, I forgot. Uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll drop Actually, it in here I, at some point, but it, it's about a, a guy that gets lost in the Dakar and, uh, you know, ends up being kind of a missing, missing persons, uh, thing and survives. Uh, but well, anyway. didn't, didn't, um, uh, didn't a driver die? I think a driver died last year. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. Yeah. You can, yeah. I mean, because it's sort of off road, you can like go over a dune and take a wrong turn and go off a cliff type stuff. I mean, it's really serious. So, yeah. um, and, and you see it, they're all, their, their cars are like. <laughs> out of the future, they're like modern tanks kind of, you know, built to handle this type of stuff. And they're wearing helmets and all the safety gear, um, well, you know. And I, and as I've often said, I would love to do this. Who doesn't want to bang around the desert, you know, with no restrictions essentially, but it just beats the ever living daylight out of you and you have to train for this. I mean, it would just, it just like you say, it's dangerous to begin with, but even just if you get through cleanly, you would have been just put in a, in a, in a dryer for, you know, 8,300 8, kilometers. Yeah. I mean, if anytime you drive 600 kilometers or a couple hundred miles or whatever, I feel exhausted. So, I mean, imagine doing that, but like off road, um, you know, <laughs> exactly. and in a race too, yeah. <laughs> there's no uh, pit stops really. Um, that's cool. That's really fascinating. Well, good luck, the, good luck to them. And I hope everybody's safe in that race. Those are so fun to watch on TV too, because you're just, you see a lot of Saudi Arabia, um, that you just wouldn't see, you know, day to day. You're like, wow, this is really amazing. Yeah, boy. Um, cool stuff. So next uh, topic, the P one of my favorite uh, topics we, we do, the PGA's <laughs> standoff with the new Saudi-backed Challenger League will delay a head-to-head -head fight over player loyalties, at least for now. The PGA granted waivers for golf's biggest stars to play in the upcoming Saudi International uh, at the King Abdullah Economic City. Um, instead of sort of uh, the PGA sort of kicked the can down the road here, um, they could have said, look, we're not going to grant you any exemptions because um, the Saudi backed uh, sort of super league that Greg Norman is um, at the head of 
um, is sort of vying for these players as loyalties. And um, I think that the PGA is basically saying here, um, you know, uh, you can play in this tournament because it's part of the Asian league and it's not part of this new league. So we'll, we'll deal with this fight later. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, that it's interesting because this, uh, this could have come to a head now and it, it looks like it's not going to. Yeah, they finessed it. And I didn't realize that according to PGA regulations, the players are ordinarily allowed three releases a season, but provided they play 15 times in PGA Tour events. And for each additional release, they are required to play five more tour events. So this was a a compromise um, that clearly they sort of had to make because Dustin Johnson, I mean, some of these people wanted to play here and they've played in Saudi and, and they've enjoyed it. So they wanted to come back. Um, you know, we we've talked about this before how in sports in particular uh, there's there's two ends of the saudi spectrum one is the very public and sometimes controversial one like golf saudi and super super league and so on and so forth and the other is what they're trying to do back home with um with the saudi citizens and participation and so i was curious about all this that uh, Ahmed al mullah who's the saudi arabia's only professional golf player he's only the only professional player they have is currently on a national tour visiting Saudi schools to promote what's called Starting New at Golf, SNAG, which is a certification program that includes all the basics of golf and, and helping to teach beginners and that sort of thing. So, you know, while we, again, we have the, we have the <clears throat> headline-grabbing ones, controversial side, but on the other side, Saudi Arabia is going about trying to, to build a, an ecosystem for golf, and especially women. There's a lot, there's a, a lot of initiatives for um for you know, there's a ladies' European tour that they, they have a part of Saudi Ramco and, and their Ramco tours, you know, invested in that. So on the on the at the home front, they're trying to build the golf ecosystem too. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there are a lot of players um, on the PGA Tour that are not saying that they would you know join a challenger league or anything like that, but they're not exactly thrilled with the PGA sort of being possessive of their uh talent um especially if there are these tournaments around the world that these players want to play in rory mcelroy was one that came out and said i'm probably not going to join this other tour but we're independent contractors and i don't really feel like it's fair for you to tell us where we can and can't play i mean we're not exclusively part of your league and if you're going to make that decision well you better make it because you know we're we're independent contractors we play in all these different events i mean just this last week um was the um, the tour, the event that broke the internet with, uh, tigers, um, coming back and playing with his son. Um, you know, there are all kinds of events like that and, and Bryson versus, um, Brooks. Brooks these, yeah. yeah. These like sort of head to head matches that are, you know, it's all good. It's all just like extra golf. Um, so it, it's also interesting too, because like if given the choice between playing at, uh, the Royal greens in Saudi Arabia or Pebble beach, I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of just regular golf, golfers would say Pebble Beach as one of the most beautiful courses in the world. But, I mean, the, the Saudi International is a serious uh, event. And um, Dustin well, Johnson it, won it last year. Um, and so it just, it's, it's, uh, it's, good for that, it's good for that event. It's good for the uh, Saudi International. And, and I think it's good that they're letting the uh, Challenger League kind of develop a little bit and not having to, you know, fend off the PGA at this early stage, which is cool. Yeah, and and that appearance money they get to show up at the Saudi International is quite compelling too. Even if the, if it's not quite Pebble Beach, you know they're they're coming in, they're getting paid money to be there. So, right out of the gate, they're good. One more thing on this is is you know, Saudi is the Super League idea has been around. Greg Norman actually, you know, uh, pursued it briefly in in the nineties. 
but the PGA's recent hookup with the European Tour, and they they are get, doing more high, uh, smaller, uh, higher profile sort of top golfers with higher purses. They're doing more of these in direct response to this threat from the Super League and the and the concept that you get the best golfers in the world together more often for bigger purses. So it's it's um, between the two of them, they're sort of getting closer together, and we'll see what this Greg Norman, you know, initiative turns out. And and right now, though, I think it was a pretty good strategic move to join the Asian Tour, be part of the Asian Tour, because that gives them legitimacy right out of the gate. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, so February 3rd to 6th is the uh, Saudi International um, at the Royal Greens, which is in King Abdullah Economic City. But I'm sure the players don't dislike going and spending a weekend where it's 83 degrees and sunny in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> no. So uh, that's another uh, upside for them. Uh, and uh, this will never get all this because we love this topic. A buddy of mine sent a video of a guy golfing at Pebble Beach, teeing off in 70 mile an hour winds. I think I've seen that actually on the internet and the guy's hitting over the water and you can't see where he's hitting into and the wind's just like right in his face. He, he yeah. can barely stay upright and, and swing. So and that, <laughs> the, it won't be those conditions, I don't think. But, you know, I can guarantee you that won't be the case in, you know, at Royal Greens. Well, that's what it looks like when you film my swing from behind. You just, but you don't see any of the wind or anything. It's just don't the ball doesn't go wind. anywhere. Yeah. Why is he falling over? <laughs> it's part of the oh. swing. I got a unique swing. <laughs> uh, right. It's really cool stuff. Uh, Omicron comes to Saudi Arabia. The first confirmed case of the Omicron variant was December 1st. This past week, confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Saudi Arabia more than doubled in the past two days. More than doubled in the past two days from 104 on, on Sunday to 222 on Tuesday. The health ministry urged all residents to avoid traveling outside the country and new arrivals to avoid social contact for five days. Yeah, Omicron is really 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 putting a a wrench throwing a wrench in our plans to get back to normal i think it's uh i think it's really unfortunate and you know as we've discussed many times on this podcast saudi arabia has just been so good about dealing with the pandemic so far um, literally in every respect i mean implementing things like distancing early on and then um you know quarantines and travel bans and canceling the hajj i mean you, you can't even we can't even listen to breath how much they've done to make uh, you know, the kingdom safe. And if you look at where yeah. Saudi Arabia is now, as we've discussed uh, before, you know, they virtually have no uh, pandemic going on because they've just done everything right. And, you know, they're sort of a model of the world in this respect. So hats off to them. I mean, I think we'd have to now look at what they're doing with Omicron and say, well, these guys really nailed it the first time. So uh, we should be doing what they're doing. Um, but yeah, uh, Omicron is tough. Yeah, you know, I thought your response to after when I read that, which was a heavy sigh, I think captured it all. I mean, that's the way I feel. And it's hard to, you know, it's hard. It's going to be hard to muster discipline to do it again. Um, you're right, Saudi Arabia has done a remarkable job and will probably do better than we, we will. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it's, it's exhausting, and I guess it's the cycle we're going to be in. You know, uh, as we get into Omicron, it looks like it's not quite as, um, uh, it, it, you know, the hospitalization level is, is not so high uh, for those who are vaccinated and that uh, the uptick, you know, the very quick uptick in terms of cases has been followed, at least in South Africa, with a pretty swift decline in cases. So maybe we get that spike, but, you know, it's not going to be the last variant. So 
heavy sigh. That heavy sigh. That is good news that came out of South Africa. I saw that. That is, um, you know, that's encouraging because Omicron sort of came into the world's, I mean, it, I guess it was about a month ago, maybe a little less. And now more than 70% of the cases in the United States are Omicron. Um, you know, in a way that's kind of, uh, and I'm sure YouTube's going to flag this video and take the whole thing down, but in a way it's kind of good news that it's spreading so rapidly. Um, you know, but not causing the same level of serious illness. But I don't, we don't know yet if that's because a lot more people are vaccinated and boosted. Um, and I think it's really interesting. New York City has had such a huge surge. And, and I've, you know, I've been there a few times in the last uh, few months. And it's, you know, going there was like going back in time to the pre-pandemic level where, except right. for asking for your vaccination status before entering a restaurant, it sort of felt like it was back to normal. And now this so yes heavy sigh indeed that is um the grinch it was a it's a grinch and scrooge mashup that well, is a, a kind of a disc gift for you know for to, to bring it really local uh jane's birthday is the 24th so that new year's eve and we usually try and go out we go to try and go to an irish pub because she's irish and uh and you know we're we there's nothing available right now. You know, we, we don't really want to be in one. A lot of, you know, the one we were going to literally called the day and said, hey, a couple of uh, servers um, tested positive, so we closed a restaurant. So uh, it's just, you know, it's you, we think, like a lot of us, everyone thought we were past this. Yeah, um, now, now with Omicron, there's... Um kind of confusing information out there it's sort of like there's like there's this extra ammunition for anti-vaxxers because it's clear that those who are vaxxed and boosted can get it and spread it and it sort of seemed like maybe that wasn't the case before omicron and so it's just like it just sucks <laughs> i mean it's yeah, just it really bad um so but it'll be interesting to see Saudi Arabia and how they handle this because they did such a good job before and also because you know they as we've discussed they sort of have a different governmental and decision-making structure that is top-down and is, uh, you know, really, uh, really serious and doesn't leave a lot of room for debate or questioning when they make a law or make a rule. And that puts them in a position of advantage, I think. Agreed. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Omicron. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just a bummer. Um, okay, so according to a piece this week in the Wall Street Journal, attacks by the Iran-backed Houthi movement against Saudi Arabia, against Saudi Arabia have more than doubled this year from their pace last year. The I should mention the Wall Street Journal cited a report in the Center for Strategic and International Studies, which found the Houthi group launched 78 attacks a month this year, or 702 total, um, which compares to about 38 a month last year. So. Um, first of all, um, shout out to the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I know, Richard, you have a, a few really good friends and colleagues <laughs> over there uh, who do just, do just amazingly good work. Um, this report work. was sort of a patient, professional look at all the different attacks that have happened. Um, and this is news. I mean, this is like there's a huge escalation going on. And, you know, just because Saudi Arabia is successful at batting some of these attacks down, it's one or two successful attacks can, you know, really mess up the world's oil supply or, you know, cause a bunch of death and injuries. So, um, you know, Saudi Arabia gets, well, I'll let you respond first to the news and we can kind of, no, go ahead. It, it, you know, it's it, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, Saudi Arabia gets a lot of, uh, you know, gets, a, gets a lot of blowback for the war in Yemen and, you know, the war in Yemen is the war in Yemen. It's ugly and, and it's causing a lot of suffering, but the reality is, is that, 
the Houthi group is launching 78 attacks a month that are done by these inexpensive $10,000 drones with a bunch of explosives. And usually they're thrown at an airport. And the only goal is to injure civilians and or take out a flight or, you know, it's just it's sort of like yeah. that doesn't get, in my opinion, enough attention. I mean, you can want to stop the, quote, Saudi war in Yemen, but you know, you've got to, you've got to recognize that Saudi Arabia is defending itself in a lot of ways. Um, you know, not necessarily with the war, but just like, this is, you know, this is serious. I mean, if we had the same problem, we would not in the United States, we would not right. be, you know, thrilled about it. So. No, uh, agreed. And, and, and in fact, Tim Landerkane, who's a U.S. envoy on Yemen, uh, special representative on Yemen, uh, you know, sort of beats that, towns uh, that, uh, tone a lot, basically saying, because Saudi Arabia is in a very difficult spot because they'd like to find a difficult diplomatic, uh, a political resolution to this. They'd like to see it end. Um, but as I said, uh, the Houthi, as, as you were alluding to, the Houthis are feeling very confident right now. I mean, they've, they've launched a year long offensive to take Marab, which is where the biggest gas fields are. And, and, and in fact, the city of Marab is the last stronghold of the recognized government there. And it's home to 3 million people. But so the, the Houthis think they have the upper hand um, and are not interested in a negotiated deal right now. Uh, and, and they're also not interested in whether, you know, whether we care about if they're, you know, throwing missiles into or, or drone dropping drones and, and bombs and that sort of thing in civ civilian areas. Uh, one of the comments in that uh, WJ article was, it, 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 quote, it's very cheap for the Houthis and the Iranians to produce and, and very expensive for the Saudis to defend against. We're talking about these armaments. There's a big advantage to continue to put pressure on the Saudis. It's not very expensive. So they really have the upper hand both because they have, they're, they're controlling most of the ground. Um, they're just throwing armaments in, missiles and drones, and they don't really want to talk about a... Um, a negotiated agreement. So the Saudis are stuck. Uh, and again, I, you know, the, the, this, you know, they went in and, and, and went into this in Yemen in March, 2015. Um, it's been a real quagmire for them. And, uh, you know, that's from the Saudi side, as you mentioned on, from the Yemeni side, it's a, it's a, it's a disaster. I mean, uh, many people have died, uh, great high levels of homelessness and poverty. And uh, I, the Saudis would like to see it end somehow in some reasonable way. Uh, but right now, the Houthis don't want to talk. I think so would President Biden. I think if he could end that, somehow bring an end to that conflict and stop these attacks by the Houthis and sort of bring the bring an end to the war and bring some um, alleviation of the suffering to Yemen, I think that would be the biggest foreign policy win of his presidency thus far. Um, so but but I mean, if you're the Houthis, you're saying, OK, the you know, America's sort of more focused on Saudi Arabia's actions in Yemen than they are what we're doing. Um, Saudis right. are interested in, in ending this war, like you said, but, you know, we really don't see a reason for us to engage in that, especially when we can make moves on Maghrib. And, you know, so it's it's ugly. And, and um, yeah, I mean, this is but this should raise some eyebrows in Congress, which loves to loves to slap Saudi around for the war in Yemen. But I mean, this is just hard evidence that they're also doing things to defend themselves and they re rely on the United States for support for that. So, um, yeah. The Houthis also occasionally attack oil tankers and other targets, you know, in, in between, um, 2017 and 21, 2021, they have uh, 24 successful or attempted tax uh, attacks on shipping in the, in the, 
in the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but you know, like you say, you know, we there's a debate. In, you know, they, they Senate passed this this uh, purchase of air-to-air missile, defensive missiles to Saudi Arabia, but not after a great deal of of resistance and people criticizing and using it as a platform to criticize it. And we're not saying Saudi Arabia doesn't deserve you know, criticism for, for their part in making this situation. I do believe that they'd like to, to end and get out and that Houthis are not willing to do that right now. Yeah, when, when uh, U.S. Uh, foreign uh, officials, the you know Secretary of State, State Department officials talk about the Iran's malign activity in the region. I mean, what they're talking about in a lot of sense, in a lot of ways, is what they're doing in Yemen. It's just giving the Houthis pretty much whatever they want because they know that this is a huge thorn in the side of Saudi Arabia. And it's a cheap way to get a victory for Iran. So it's connected to that issue as well. Um, and, and yeah, Lebanon's Hezbollah is in there doing, you know, working closely with the Houthis in terms of weapons and training. Yeah, um, it's a it's a bad bad combination. Well. Um, let's end uh, the this uh, sort of extended version of Yella with a more positive story. Um, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman la- launched the Jeddah Central Project, another huge outlay of investment to make Saudi Arabia's second largest city a more attractive tourism and entertainment destination and place to live. Uh, the plan was launched with a price tag um, this week of $20 billion and... Um, all the main features were sort of unveiled by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Well, actually, if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll see some of the videos from the um, official launch. It, it actually looks really, really cool. They're building a and revitalizing a huge marina there. They're adding an opera house, a stadium, um, new beaches and like places to hang out. I mean, the video looks really, really cool. It looks sort of like they're making it more of a modern city, even though it's a, a very old city with a, a rich heritage. So um, very, very cool um, stuff. We don't really talk about um, a lot of the uh, the mega projects that are happening that are just revitalizations, and this is one of those. And that's I think that's really cool. We did, yeah, we did a session, and we we, we distinguished between the greenfield ones and urban infrastructure, and that sort of thing. This is one right. of those. I, I think it's this is really exciting. And like you say, I, I guess this was the, the previously the Jetta Central Development uh, Jetta Central project, and and it was set up in 2019. But now they're coming around, and they're really going to be committing, as you say, 20 billion. And it is impressive. I didn't, you know, that's a big swath of land and a lot of big swath of swath of uh, you know Red Sea ocean front that they're going to have, Red Sea waterfront. Um, and I guess the, the the project will be in three phases. The first of which will be finished by the end of 2027. I, I like that you know Riyadh Riyadh gets top billing because it's the capital city and they're really trying to grow it into just a you know sort of a gleaming metropolis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to see this kind of uh, you know investment in, in Jeddah as well. I think it's a good political move as well as a very interesting you know development move. Yeah, I mean, Richard, the last time we were there, we, it was like we, you're you're on the water, and Jeddah is a really interesting city. It's it's all on the water, but. Um, you know, there really isn't a lot of beachfront or any places to hang out on the water. Um, I mean, there, there are some, but it's not like a, it's not like Miami where it's just all beachfront, you know, and I think they're going to, by adding some of that outdoor hangout space, they can really add a lot to the local economy, um, which is really interesting. So this is, this is cool. You, you'll see video, uh, photos and videos of this, and you can also see it um, on um, our website, sustg.com, but there's just some really cool things they're doing here. And it's not just, you know, revitalization um, and kind of modernization, but, you know, building stadiums and an opera house. That stuff's really cool. Yeah. Hey, uh, you definitely have not getting enough sleep. We have one more. 
Oh, okay. You're right about the sleep. Apologies no, on that. No, we have, we have, I think this is the last one. Is this so, a, is um, this going to be a super negative one or is this going to be a, <laughs> this um, is a positive one. Okay. We're going to end cool. on an uptick. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a Christmas story. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, Saudi Arabia's startups record uh, strong Q3 fundraising. Mm. Uh, according to data platform Magnet, startups in Saudi Arabia recorded their best ever quarter for fundraising in the three months ending September 30th, uh, attracting two, 205 million and 34 deals. Total venture capital investment reached 376 million year to date in 2021, more than double the funding invested during the full year of 2020. Well, that's really, really good news. Um, a key <laughs> part of Vision 2030. Um, you also saw today that the PIF plans to invest $40 billion in uh, the local economy next year. And that's really good for startups as well when you have that uh, big money coming into inv investing in local um, industries. Uh, you know, startups usually follow. And so that's, that is, uh, that's encouraging. Entrepreneurship is everything for Vision 2030. I mean, getting these sort of local businesses to, to start up and, and um, help to diversify the economy um, is the name of the game. So, um, now, you know, you did a shout out to CSIS. This was a, uh, the national article based on a magnet. Magnet does great work too, in terms of tracking the Saudi, uh, I mean, the, the regional entrepreneurial, uh, you know, that the whole landscape and startups and that sort of thing. That's magnet M A G N I T T. Um, this report was interesting. There were three things that I thought were really interesting. One was, um, Funding rounds under 500,000 went from 66% of all 66% of all deals in 2020 to only about 25% in 2021. So uh, this isn't really angel capital. This isn't even it's preceded. You know, it's it, this is real. This is the investment. So you see in Saudi the the investments going up. Um, two uh, almost two thirds of the investors were based in Saudi. And that's compared to 46% in UAE and 44% in Egypt. So um, that's, a, that's a really positive thing. And three, uh, it recorded three exits. So the venture capital, you know, these companies that had gotten venture capital and gone out, they had three exits in 2021. Uh, either bought out or gone, you know, gone, uh, went on to the Tadawo. Um, so you see there the beginnings of a homegrown system where you've got enough money locally. Uh, so both in terms of amount, in terms of numbers of Saudis, and and I guess most importantly, you have via the Tadawal and, and other means, you have an exit, which these things didn't exist five, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, that's when you start getting an eco, you know, a startup ecosystem where people can get funded and they can get out and make them, you know, make some money uh, you know, that's very attractive. Absolutely. That, that's a, that's a really good, I mean, that's a really good trend. It's not the end game for what they're trying to do in Saudi Arabia, but what we're seven years, six years into vision 2030 now. And the, the end goal is nine years from now, eight years from now. So let's talk, let's talk in a week. Yeah. It'll change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it makes me think of that uh, quote from Fahad Nazar, uh, who we had in a great interview um, earlier this month. And he was talking about visiting Saudi Arabia and he was basically just like, yeah, it's people that come here, um, you know, are just blown away. But if you stay for longer than a month, you're like, this place is different than when I got here. So, 
Um, you know, you know, Lucian. When I when I do a zoom, I sort of I turn off the the video, the thing, camera, and you know when when we're and we're you know we're looking at stuff, notes, and that sort of thing. I just turned it back on. You've had to stare at this blinking monstrosity the whole time. That's, <laughs> that's frightening. Well, I thought it was Morse code, and I thought it was just like <laughs> telling me what to say. So I've been what's been coming out. I've been reading from your lights. Um, <laughs> If you're listening to us on audio, check out the video uh, if you get a moment on our YouTube channel because Richard's get up here is so good. Um, and he's really up the game. I mean, next year I've got to really start thinking about this in advance because um, it's it's great. Love seeing it. And, the, um, you know, we wanted to do a sort of a lighter, quicker, hit, quicker hitting uh, episode here before the holiday. Um, but, of course, um, we are both, oh my goodness. We both don't do quick hits very well. But... Um, Let's actually wrap it up there. Um, and we will be back next week. Um, and yeah, if you get a chance, uh, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That kind of helped us a lot, uh, sort of climb up some of the rankings. Uh, it's great to see you guys um, following us and listening to us. And again, shoot us an email if you um, have any ideas or uh, suggestions. Uh, we love actually, hearing from you guys. Let me do a plug. Next week will be a busy one. We've got a, um, we've got a regular weekly um, uh, we'll be joined by a special guest who's, who will be awesome, uh, Chris Johnson, who's a, who's a friend of many decades of mine and a really, uh, actually a, a treasure uh, in terms of understanding an American understands Saudi Arabia. And then we're also doing uh, sort of a new feature, which is so we we have long features, we have weekly, and now we're going to do a top start doing topical features, and we've got one with Kate Durian, who's with the Arab Gulf States Institute in Washington on energy in Saudi Arabia, and we'll be doing that next week. So. The, uh, the franchise expands. Can't wait for that. It's going to be an awesome discussion. So, yes, yeah, stay tuned to us. And, uh, Richard, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And what a great gift. Uh, you know, hug the family for me. And, and, and Sophie's, Sophie is just a goddess. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Thank you. And happy birthday to Jane as well. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>